0: I'm Michael, for anyone who doesn't know me, it's lovely to be with you tonight, and um, as I was thinking about, we're, we're speaking into this series of Still Standing, and the reason we're still speaking into it is because, you know, it's not how you start, is it? It's, it's what it's like today and it, what it's like tomorrow. It's an ongoing journey, and uh, we've had some incredible speakers, haven't we? I remember a couple of weeks ago we had Pastor Simon. Remember that shield? Wasn't that amazing? Absolutely fantastic. And then last week we had Monique here and she was talking about just the power of God to overcome anxiety and fear. And I remember she hates bugs. <laughs> I love bugs, especially bees. I like to try and stroke their backs, you know. So, um, but I'm a horticulturalist, I guess, and bees are the horticulturalist's best friend. So, um, so I was feeling just a little bit intimidated. I was thinking, Michael, you're going to have to lift your game. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever kind of looked around and seen people around you and thought, man, there are awesome people around me. I could never be like them. Have you ever had that kind of feeling or is it just me? Oh, you have had that feeling? Oh, that's good. You're working on your humility, Ashley. Well done. That's good. So, um, but you know, we just have to be who we are. God's created each of us unique. And I think one of the keys to being able to remain standing is to be who God's created you to be and to discover what that looks like for you. Right. And I've been standing now for a, um, a few years. It's over 50 years since I've been a Christian. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that deserves a chocolate fish right there, don't you? <laughs> oh, okay, that was rather lame. Not enough to bring out... Um, oh, oh, thank you, Jan. Oh, okay. Gillian, you can look after that, but don't eat it. Oh. And Gillian just gave it back again. I mean, how good is that? So, I want to share some things um, around that tonight. Um, There's a couple of messages I've shared already, and and as I've just been kind of doing this introduction, it's given Nicole time to get back to the cupboard. So, um, hopefully, she'll have a slide for us now. Um, The first message that I shared, if we can have um, those headings. And uh, these are online. If you, I'm just sharing these in case there's something that kind of resonates with you. You know, if your Holy Spirit's talking to you about, it, you can go and have a look at that message. But I, one of the things I shared about was living in God's unconditional love. When you know that you're loved unconditionally, it really affects the way in which you respond. And knowing that God has done everything that is necessary for our salvation. And I shared, and um, some of the parents laughed in the room and some of the kids laughed in the room, so I know it still happens. But I remember saying to our daughter when she was 13, and we were having some difficult times with her, we'd say to her, I'm not enjoying your behavior right now, but my love for you is never in question. You know, I think that God says that to me sometimes. It's, you feel God said that to you sometimes? Michael, I'm not enjoying your behavior right now, but my love for you is never in question. So we talked about that. We talked about not living in independence. We're fiercely independent people, aren't we? We looked at the parable um, of the prodigal son and how the prodigal son learnt. He wanted his independence, but he learnt actually we're created in the image of God. We're, we're created to live in dependency. Of, with our Heavenly Father. And he learned what it was to come into that relationship with his Father and then unlocked a whole different dimension of what being part of the Father's kingdom looked like. And we talked about laying aside an attitude of entitlement. You know, sometimes, I don't know whether you feel like this, but sometimes I think, God, I deserve a bit of a break. I deserve better than this. Am I the only one who does that? And, uh, you know, in those moments, we just need to be reminded that, you know, That everything that we have comes out of God's grace, God's strength, God's enabling. And actually, I'm not really entitled to anything. I'm saved by God's grace. And the second message that we looked at last week, I started off talking about why is it that Christians are into conspiracy theories? I love conspiracy theories, don't you? But why, no? But why is it that we turn them into items of doctrine? Doctrine. You know, And I said, as Christians, have different opinions, that's fine. Have different opinions about politics. I'm sick of arguing with my Christian friends about climate change, so I just don't argue about climate change. I just say, do you want microplastic in your fish? They say, no. I say, well, let's go for pollution then. We can agree on that. <laughs> None of us want microplastic in our fish, so let's get rid of pollution. Um, you know, have opinions, but don't turn them into theology. As Christians, we're not good at agreeing to disagree. And uh, to quote the words of Pastor Nick Klinkenberg, keep the main thing the main thing. You know, we need to do that, don't we? So we reminded ourselves of that. You know, listening to our conscience, I believe that is the single most important thing to remain standing. That still small voice. That's You know, we're different, I think, from the rest of, of creation. We're created in God's image. My dog doesn't have a conscience, I don't think. I look at Harley sometimes and say, Harley? Have you got a conscience? And he just looks at me and says, you leave that food on the floor and it's going to be eaten. You know. But as human beings, we have a conscience. And if we will listen to that conscience, it will really enable us to stay standing. Often I find Christians, it's not whether it's right or wrong. It's just counting the cost of what we know to do is right. Well, it is for me anyway. And the last thing we looked at is understanding that gift of time is a gift and not a master. Sometimes we kind of um, make busyness You know, something that we glorify, like busyness is a badge of honor. But actually, I'm constantly challenged by the thought that God's given me enough time to do what he's called me to do. So there's probably some things that I'm doing that I'm not called to do that I need to to let go so that I can really take hold of the gift of time and be what God wants me to be in the season that I'm in. So tonight, part three. And the first point tonight is listen to significant people that God has placed in your life. So I'm going to stand aside and let my wife Gillian have a few words. So
1: give her some encouragement
0: as she comes.
1: (laughs) Thank you. What a privilege, eh? So he asked me to share some thoughts about what's helped me to stay still standing. Excuse me. So I've got just three quick thoughts. The first one was to keep short accounts with God and with others. So by this, I basically mean ask forgiveness and don't hold grudges. When you know you've done something wrong, when you've upset someone, when you've been thoughtless, when you've been selfish, when you've been judgmental, all of those things that we all do, be quick to apologize, make it right if you can, tell God you're sorry and ask for his forgiveness, and if it's appropriate, ask for the other person's forgiveness, if it's something that they don't even know about, that's just been in your head, it's probably not necessary to talk to them about it, but if it's something you've done and said, ask for forgiveness. And then equally importantly, when somebody wrongs you, do your best to work towards forgiving them and don't allow yourself to hold a grudge. Now we know this can be a journey. It can be hard work at times, but remember that saying that holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. In the long run, it only damages us. So that leads to my second thought. Keep talking to God with honesty. There's no point in putting on a brave face, pretending everything is okay when we're talking to God, when it's obviously not. Because he knows it already. And he knows it as our loving Heavenly Father, not as a judgmental ruler sitting up there waiting to catch us out. If you're struggling with forgiving someone, tell God and ask for his help. If you're having a bad day, tell him and ask him to change the atmosphere around you or give you wisdom to make a change. I'm a GP and some days it's just plain hard work and it's pretty draining seeing person after person with problems and major health issues. And I frequently say to God, usually when I'm standing up from my desk, we can do this (laughs) as I go to get my next patient because I sometimes feel tired and I'm drained and I really am ready for that coffee, but there are already three patients still waiting to see me. So keep talking to God and involve him in your everyday life, but be honest with him. And thirdly, develop a rhythm in your devotional life that works for you, that involves Bible reading and prayer. For me, this works best in the mornings, and I use the Word for today, and the version verse of the day, and sometimes Lectio 365. There are so many devotional aids and apps available now. Just try one. Try finding one until you find one that works for you. And if you've been doing something for a while, and it's become a bit of a stale routine then do something different. There's no right or wrong way to spend time with God, reading the Bible and praying. The important thing is to do it and do it regularly. Now, some people have said to me, but I'm not a routine sort of person. Well, don't look on it as a routine, but look on it as a rhythm. It's a bit like eating. If we don't eat, our body eventually gets weak. If we don't nourish our devotional life, our spiritual life weakens. And then we're more prone to attacks from the enemy. So don't find excuses, just do it. Pastor Sheridan was speaking from Ephesians 4 this morning, and a verse that I felt tied in with this tonight was from 23 and 24. It says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Thank you.
0: Fantastic! We're going to be married for 40 years next year. And um, so that's good, isn't it? But I do have to say, it took me a little while to learn to listen to my wife. In fact, I remember I had a few prophetic words about, you need to listen to your wife. So (laughs) I thought, oh, I must have been a hopeless case (laughs) when God's having to kind of marshal the prophet. so, So I've been a slow learner. But do I listen to you now? Most of the time. Most of the time. So that's progress, right? So heading in the right direction. That's good. Just being honest. The second thought I want to share tonight is learn to process discouragement. Because discouragement is something that comes in life, right? You don't get to choose whether or not you have discouragement. You just experience discouragement. I recently um, failed a meteorology exam and um, I got 66%, which was really annoying because the pass mark was 70%. And um, But, and I thought, oh, and have you ever had that kind of thing happen? You think, oh, do I really want to do this? Is this really a good use of my time? Could I really be doing something else? Do I really want to put myself through this pain? And then in the process of that, you kind of work with it and you think, yes. This is something I want to do, or no, this is something I don't want to do. For me, it was, yes, I want to do this. And I want to encourage you tonight that discouragement can be a real gift just to focus ourselves about are those things that we're discouraged about really important, and how do we take a hold of them? And there's a great passage in the Bible Um, about Elijah and how he processed discouragement. It's in 1 Kings um, chapter 17. I just want to highlight, you might be familiar with the story, maybe you're not, but I think there's some great principles in his life about processing discouragement. First of all, um, he prophesied there'd be no dew or rain for a few years because of King Ahab's um, wickedness, and that's in the beginning of First Kings 17, so pretty bold move, eh? There's going to be no dew or rain for the next two or three years. And then if you know the story, he meets the widow of Zarephath, and she's just about to prepare her last meal so that her and her son can die, because they're in the midst of drought and famine. And she's just got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour left. And Elijah rocks up and says, hey, how about you make me something first? Quite an audacious move, wouldn't you say? And so they respond and they do that. And there's a miraculous supply because for the rest of the famine, the flour and the oil continues to remain. But then later on, her son dies. And Elijah prays for her son, for the widow's son. And he's miraculously brought back to life. Amazing. And then I'm like, Carmel, Carmel, um, Elijah goes head to head with 450 prophets of Baal, and they have this sacrifice, and he taunts them and says, come on, you guys, you know, cut yourselves some more, whatever, is this the best you've got? And then he calls down fire from heaven, and it demolishes the sacrifice, demolishes the altar, dries up all the water that's around it, if you've read the story, an incredible victory, wouldn't you say? And then after that, Elijah prays for rain. There's been no dew or rain for two years. And what happens? It pours and buckets down with rain. Amazing. And then at the beginning of verse 19 or chapter 19, we hear that Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, threatens to kill Elijah, and Elijah's world is turned upside down. And Nicole, if we can have this slide from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse three to four. Remember all the victories that he's had? And then we have this chapter. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and he, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Incredible, isn't it? How can you go from such a high To such a low, but that's discouragement. You know, sometimes we're more prone to discouragement after times of success than we are after times of failure. And so we really need to be on the guard and to watch out for that. And so we see that God takes him on a bit of a journey, and we see that Elijah needs to sleep and rest. And sometimes around discouragement, we need to take care of our physical needs. We don't understand. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's amazing how the physical body is connected with the emotions and the mind. And so he's cared for in that kind of way. And then God journeys with him. He travels to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. And uh, normally that that journey would take 14 days. And Yahweh takes him on a 40-day trip through the wilderness. Sound familiar? And provides for him, a bit like Moses in the wilderness. And then he winds up in a cave. And Elijah spends a night in the cave. And God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I think that's a great question when it comes to discouragement. Sometimes I feel God says to me, Michael... What are you doing here in your discouragement? I feel for some of you prophetically tonight, Holy Spirit's saying to you in your discouragement, whatever your name is, what are you doing here? And the reason it's profound is discouragement just doesn't happen. Discouragement is the result of a journey. And we need to look back and just see what is it that's happened on that journey. You know, you can shout at the devil And I've done that plenty of times. You can shout at God, and sometimes that's really good to do as well. But when you're discouraged and disappointed, sometimes the way in which you need to hear God is that still, small voice saying, Michael, I believe in you. Walk this way. And Elijah was like that. You know, he had a rant and rave. There's nothing like a good rant and rave with God, is there? You know, he shouted, he probably you know, bangs his fists or whatever. And and if you read the passage, you'll see that there was, you know, that Yahweh came past and there was lightning and there was thunder and all of that. But Yahweh wasn't in the lightning or the thunder. Yahweh was in the still small voice and the still small voice whispered into his life. And friends, you and I, in the midst of our discouragement, we need to be on the lookout to hear that still small voice of Yahweh saying, Michael, I believe in you. Walk with me. I think that's really important if we're going to stay standing. The next point I want to share is we need to remain humble and teachable. You know, one of the areas I've struggled with most, I think, over the years has been criticism. Who likes criticism? Oh, no one. (laughs) I'm amongst friends then. And especially criticism when you think you don't deserve it, right? Isn't that just the pits? And you want to kind of justify yourself. And one of the things I've had to learn is, You can learn things in criticism. Because so often when we're criticized, it kind of touches our self-worth, doesn't it? But if I can just distance myself a little bit from that and say, what is it that I can learn? You know, it might be 90% rubbish, but what's the 10%, the kernel of truth, that I can really take away and learn from this? And I think as New Zealanders, we're often not good at dealing with criticism. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Nicole, if we can have that scripture, please. Paul writes and he says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you this warning. Do not think of yourself better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by, the, by faith God has given us. Who likes having a performance appraisal with Pastor Sheridan? Or maybe someone else. I don't know. Who will be worse than having a performance appraisal with Pastor Sheridan? I can't think. <laughs> Maybe Pam at Vision College. (laughs) She's not here. (laughs) Oh, don't you take that home. (laughs) Remember, what's said here stays here. (laughs) But you know, sometimes things are said and you can kind of dismiss it. Oh no, they don't know what they're talking about. But there's always a kernel of truth. And if we can take some of those things on board, we can actually be a better version of the person that God wants us to be. The flip side of that about being humble and teachable is, as New Zealanders, I don't think we're always good at giving affirmation either. You know, I find people would say to me sometimes, oh, Michael, you did a great job. And I'd kind of just play it down, oh, it was nothing really. Until I realized in saying that, that I was really robbing that person of a blessing. And actually, it might have been a whole heap of work. And I had to learn to say, hey, thank you. Um, You know, I really enjoyed doing that. Thank you for the opportunity. And I think if we're going to continue to remain standing, we're going to need to learn to accept criticism, to allow God to shape us and mold us, and to learn what it is to be affirmed and what it is to affirm others is really important. Another scripture, Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verses 8 to 9 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your eyes on what is true and honorable and right and pure, lovely and admirable Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all the things you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And the last thing I wanted to um, share tonight is don't be afraid of taking steps of faith and making mistakes. And I felt prophetically tonight that Holy Spirit was saying that some of us have kind of reached a ceiling. You know, sometimes you kind of feel, God, I just feel there's something more, but we haven't kind of broken through that ceiling. Have you ever had that experience where you know there's something more, but you've there's just, you know, you're kind of hitting a a ceiling? I felt Holy Spirit was saying, it's because you're afraid to make a mistake. You know, it's kind of like you get so far, but you're just not prepared to actually trust God, to take a step of faith, even though it may mean that you kind of fall on your face. And sometimes it's in the process of doing that that we pick ourselves up and take hold of God in a new way. Some of you know that I'm an orchardist, and I love growing things. I love growing anything that you can eat. If it's beautiful and you can eat it, it's a bonus. But eating it is definitely a primary requirement for me. And um, we've got this plum tree, and and we had this other plum tree growing by it. And I thought, I gave it a year. It had no redeeming features or whatever, these little hard plums. I thought, no, it's got to go. It's taking up room. I could have something that's beautiful, and I could eat it. So I chopped it out. Next year, no plums. Why? Because that was a pollinator for the other plum tree. (laughs) So it's taken me two years to grow that plum tree back again from a stump true story. But you know, sometimes you only learn, right, by making mistakes. And and I really felt that God's speaking to us about that. If we're, going to be, if we're going to be still standing, then we've got to be prepared to make mistakes. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. Many of you will know this, the, the, the verses on faith. And the writer of Hebrews says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about some people who are examples of men and women of faith throughout history. Noah built an ark away from any kind of water source. In fact, I don't think that it even had rain on the earth at that, that time. Imagine that, kind of building this huge vessel. So, and people coming past and saying, hey, Liam, how are you going to give that to the water? I don't know. God just said to build it here. And Liam could build it too. He's a builder, couldn't he? it would probably be very good as well. Abraham went to an unknown land, and he lived there as a foreigner, living in tents. Didn't make any sense. Sarah believed that God would keep his promise to give her a child, even though she was barren. And she described Abraham. I didn't think this was very complimentary of Sarah. She describes Abraham as a man who is good as dead. Sounds as though he wasn't really up to the deed, doesn't it? But probably shouldn't mention that in church. (laughs) Moses, family by faith, hit him for three months and then allowed Pharaoh's daughter to raise him. So what does taking steps of faith and stepping out of your comfort zone look like for you? Pastor Sheridan mentioned the phrase this morning, and it's one of my favorites, is we need sometimes to do life scared. Sometimes it's really good to take a step you know, in the natural, and then it's easier to take a step in the supernatural. One of the things I did recently with my instructor's permission is we're in a Cessna 172, and we deliberately stalled the plane. I was absolutely terrified, but you know what I found? Cessna 172s are built to fly, and it virtually just flew itself out of the stall. But you, know, you don't know those sorts of things, do you? Unless you put yourself in that situation, what does it look like for you to step out of your comfort zone and to live with a dimension of faith? Maybe God wants you to pray for a person to be healed. Stepping out of your comfort zone. What happens if it doesn't happen? Well, if it doesn't happen, worst case scenario, the person will probably be encouraged. You'll be encouraged. You'll learn some stuff and you'll get to pray again if they haven't been healed. Inviting that friend to church. Do you know, most people need at least eight invitations before they come to church. But I get so discouraged, don't you? I've kind of built myself up and I invite my neighbor to come to church or whatever and they never show. And I think, well, I'm not going to ask them again. Well, who's going to be the other seven people that ask them before they'll come? Maybe it's sharing your story of how you came to faith in Jesus. Perhaps it's making a pledge for the global offering that's beyond your current financial reserves. You know, it's a step of faith. But it's choosing to do that anyway and just see how God will come through. Feeling alive in our Christian faith depends upon seeing God in a new way. And that's how God's created us to live. If we're going to say standing, we have to continue to take those steps of faith rather than always kind of feel that we're hitting that, that, um, that ceiling. I want to leave you with these four questions tonight. Thanks, Nicole. And don't try and do all four of them right. Don't be overachievers. I know some of you are overachievers in the room. Just trust. I'm seeing you, Ruby. (laughs) She'll want to do all four. And not only that, she's taking a photo of them as well so that she's got them recorded. (laughs) But I'm I'm not shaming you. I'm really not, no. What's Holy Spirit speaking to you about? Of these four, what's one that's highlighted for you? Who are the significant people that God's placed in your life? Who are the people that can speak into your life? You know, Jillian and I had to give each other permission to, to speak into one another's lives. It was really good at the start because Jillian felt quite intimidated and she didn't say anything. But now she just holds back. It's much harder. <laughs> it's much harder than it used to be. How do you process discouragement? Because discouragement is part of life but I actually believe that Holy Spirit wants to use it to actually bring focus into our lives. Like he did for me of what's really important in this season and what isn't. What's something that you can let go? What does remaining humble and teachable look like for you? Being able to actually, you know, take on board criticism, but also being able to receive and to give affirmation. And lastly, where is our God asking you to take a step of faith and to risk making a mistake? John Maxwell wrote a book, didn't he, Falling Forward, and he talks about the only way we grow in who we are in Christ is by being prepared to make a mistake. You ever thought about Jesus' disciples? You know, they must have been prepared to make a mistake. Peter, I can do anything. Yes, Lord, I'll come to you walking on the water. Google, Google, Google. (laughs) I've got you, Peter. (laughs) But at least he was prepared to make a mistake, right? Right? And a few chapters later on in the book of Acts, there he is preaching to a multitude and over 3,000 people came to Christ. I wonder if that would have ever happened if he hadn't been prepared to take a step of faith and to make a mistake. If I can just ask everyone just to bow their heads and close their eyes for a moment. Just as you're pondering those questions, you know, these questions are all important, but all of it starts with acknowledging Jesus as our Lord and Saviour accepting his leadership and his forgiveness for our lives. And I don't know where we all are on our faith journey tonight. It's just heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you and, and you just know that Holy Spirit's speaking to you, you'll know that, your heart will be beating. You'll just sense that this is your time. And if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus, to ask him to be the leader of your life, to acknowledge his forgiveness for your sin. I'd love just to acknowledge that as you raise your hand and to include you in this prayer. So just looking around the room, is there anyone tonight and you'd like to make that commitment or that recommitment? Lord, I thank you for those people in the room tonight, Lord. And the I, the phrase that comes to mind is, Lord, we never know what's on the other side of our obedience. And Lord, I pray for each of us as, as we just... Respond to those promptings and nudgings of your spirit to take a step of obedience. Lord, I pray that we would see fruitfulness in our own lives, but Lord, I pray we'd see fruitfulness in your kingdom as we see those in our families, extended families and Faro coming to Jesus. Stepping into the plans and purposes you have for their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.